pandemic brought out what had been happening for years, which is that you have millions out of school, but even many of those who are in school were not really learning properly. Good education is expensive, and you have to invest in, in education, and in many countries, this is a terrible problem. The idea of calling the summit is, listen, we have to transform education if we really want to make sure that every young person in this planet has the right to a good education. Welcome to The Lid Is On. I'm Connor Lennon, and I've just dropped my child off to school. The kids there, as well as the teachers, were very happy to see each other in person. Everyone was very excited at the prospect of a new term where everyone is finally in the same building. They've really missed that social interaction during a period of online lessons and hybrid teaching, which has been very disruptive for many. So is it all back to normal now? Not really. The break in schooling caused huge damage to the education prospects of children around the world. Even before the pandemic, there were concerns about falling standards. Millions of children were getting minimal education, or in fact, no education at all. A Transforming Education Summit is the main event surrounding the opening of this year's General Assembly session, which means that I got to sit down with Leonardo Garnier, an academic and former education minister in Costa Rica, who's now the special advisor for the summit, and ask why, with all the other big issues making headlines around the world, the UN has decided to put education front and foremost. Precisely the reason is because with the inflation, with the economic slowdown that, that we're seeing, what usually happens is that education goes under the table. It, it, it ceases to be a priority, and then governments need money. They stop spending in education. And the problem here is that the damage done to education shows only after several years. If you take the, the 80s crisis, uh, it was until the 90s and the 2000s that you, you started to see how countries had lost because they cut educational investment. So I think it's precisely the, the, the right time to do it because uh, first, millions of children were left out of school with the pandemic, uh, but it was not just the pandemic. The pandemic brought out what had been happening uh, for years, which is that you have millions out of school, but even many of those who are in school were not really learning properly. So, so yes, we, we have a, a double educational crisis, one of access and one of, of relevance, of learning. You're going back to the 80s. Talk us through what happened in that crisis and what the consequences were. Well, in those years, and, and my closest, closest experience, of course, is with, with my own country in Costa Rica and, and with Latin America, but what you saw in, in many parts of the world was that with the stagflation, uh, there was a, a huge reduction in educational budgets, uh, enrollment rates fell, numbers of teachers fell. And what happened was that uh, many of those years' children uh, were left out of education, especially high school. You Still in primary, you had a lot of students, but uh, what, ha what that meant is that today's labor force in many countries, only half of them finished primary school, and the other half never went beyond that. So when you look at increasing poverty, when you look at increasing inequality in many countries, it is very difficult not to relate that to the reduced educational opportunities of the 80s and 90s. And you're concerned that what we're seeing now is going to be potentially a repeat of that? That could happen because uh, we had been going through some improvements in the, in this century from the 2000 to 2018-19 uh, 
there had been increases in, in enrollment rates in most countries and in, in educational investment, still with problems of learning. When you look at the, the real learning outcomes, they are not uh, as good as they, as they should be. But just around 2018-19, you see that educational budgets start to be reduced, and then the pandemic hits. And then what you have is, is really two years uh, where education stopped in many countries, uh, and then you have an economic crisis. So, the, yes, the, the risk is there that instead of recovering from the pandemics, we could be even worse than we were in 2019. So what the Secretary General is saying is, first, we have to protect education from, from this big hit. Uh, second, we must recover what we lost with the pandemic, but that is not good enough. Uh, we have to do much more. We, uh, 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 and almost a, a catchphrase is that we have to go back, we're, we're back to the future. Uh, the UN and, and the global community had set for itself very ambitious goals. Uh, at the same time, very simple but very ambitious in, in SDG 4, which is guaranteeing the right of education for everybody which is not that much, you, you would think. I mean, everybody should have right to primary and high school. Uh, the truth is that we were not getting there. That goal was set for 2030. And if we keep doing things as we were being doing it prior to the pandemic, we wouldn't get to, to that uh, goal. So the idea of calling the summit is, listen, uh, we have to do things differently. We, we have to transform education. We have to transform schools, the way teachers teach, the way we uh, use digital resources, the way we finance education, if we really want to make sure that every young person in this planet has the right to a good education. Here in New York, children go back to school. I've got a child who, who went to school, and there's a lot of happiness there because... It's the first term that it's been fully in-house. Uh, masks are off now yeah. and hybrid education, doing lessons from home, that's all finished. And the teachers were happy, the kids were happy to see each other, and, and that was all great. And I, I understand that. I can see why it's been so disruptive over the last two going on three years. And, yes. and so many children have, have suffered from that. But at the same time, the difference with this education crisis is that it's been taking place during a health crisis. And... I must admit, I was surprised around a year ago when UNICEF, the UN Children's Fund, was insistent that schools should reopen because at UN News, we were writing very frequently about the deaths from COVID, yes. the health implications from COVID, and, and it seemed to be a bit of a mismatch. Um, yes. And I can understand why UNICEF wanted schools open, but um, there was, wasn't there, a question of out, outweighing the risks of no education with the health risk. And how did you see that? You know, that it's impossible not to have mixed feelings about that. Because as you say, we had at the same time a health crisis and lives were in danger. Besides, we, we didn't really know what was going on when you watched the news and you said you were listening to doctors saying, well, wash your hands or no, it's, it's use the mask or the vaccines. So we were really learning day by day what the pandemic was about. And, and, and still we... We don't fully know. Uh, so it it made sense to have social distancing and to stop schools and, and to stop all sorts of, of gatherings. Uh, at the beginning, we thought this is going to take two, three, four months, and then it was one year, and then it was two years. So 
you start to balance uh, the health risk with the risk of losing one, two, three years of education. And, and that's when you look at the, at the research of, of what has happened when children miss several months of education, uh, you don't lose a month. It's a month plus what you forget, plus the lack of relationships. So it's it's a very difficult decision. So I think that going back to school, but with uh, a lot of protection, using masks, uh, having distance, a lot of air in, in the classrooms, things like that, uh, made, made sense. Uh, but the other thing which was interesting is that what happened during the pandemic, uh, we learned, and I say we because I was teaching at the university, and suddenly they tell you, you don't have classes, you have to teach using this thing called Zoom or Teams or whatever. And suddenly we realized that there were a lot of tools out there that already existed and that we were not using. And uh, we've seen teachers all over the world using WhatsApp, using email, using videos, uh, using a lot of tools that they could have been using before, but they didn't. So I think that the pandemic showed us that we could do things differently, and, and that's a plus. That's something that could help us go through this transformation of, of education. But at the same time, the pandemic showed us that we are certainly living in a highly unequal world where some kids, like probably yours and, and mine, uh, did have access to internet connectivity, to a computer, to a smartphone, so they could remain connected with their teachers, while millions of kids and teachers in the world didn't have not even a smartphone. So solving this inequality, solving the access problem to, to the internet and to gadgets is one issue, but also producing the learning resources you need for those technologies to be useful is, is also very important. So yes, I think that uh, as bad as the pandemic has been, both in health terms and, and in, in terms of education, uh, it's a crisis that, that we shouldn't waste. I mean, it's going to be a tough question to answer, but if you could <laughs> summarize it, what your vision of uh, an education system that is fit for the 21st century would look like. Okay, I'll, I'll try to be very brief. First, uh, and, and it's good that UNESCO published a very good report at the end of last year that we imagine our futures together about precisely about this question, how to transform education. Uh, one has to do with, with the content, with what we teach and the, the relevance of education, which, of course, on the one side has the fundamentals, the literacy, the numeracy, the, the scientific thinking, like the building blocks of education. But there you also have uh, the, the, what some people have called the 21st century skills, the uh, socio-personal uh, skills, the, the problem-solving skills, the, those things. So the content of education is one of the things that has, has to change. The second is that teachers have to change. And here there are like two very much related issues because one thing is to say, okay, teachers, instead of uh, teaching through transmitting information to their students uh, by, by uh, having them repeat the, the pre-established answers. They should be teaching through questions, through curiosity, through problem solving. Uh, 
being more like the guides of their students' learning process than the ones who just give them the knowledge. Um, but to do that, you need teachers that are better trained. Uh, you need teachers with better working conditions, of course, with better wages, because in many countries the, the pay for teachers is, is very low. And you need teachers that understand that their role in front of the student, their authority, does not come from merely having more information than my students, but from my experience and my capacity to lead the learning process. So change, transforming teachers is, is very important. Then there is a question that you mentioned about digital resources. And this is interesting because in, in any labor process, in any production process, we know that productivity results in part from uh, the capacities of the workers, the, the so-called human capital, uh, which is not a very good name, uh, and, and the tools with which we work. I mean, it's if you're thinking of, of a coffee plantation or, or a sugar plantation, it's not the same to use a machete than to use a tractor. And when we talk about education, we've been using the same machete for like two, three, four hundred years. It's the same blackboard, it's the same things. Uh, suddenly you have pilots instead of chalk, but that's not a big change. Uh, and with the digital revolution, it could be possible, and I insist on could, because it's not happening yet, uh, that teachers and, and learners could have access to much more creative tools for teaching and learning. Uh, what we're saying at the summit is that Digital resources are what economists call a typical public good because they they require a lot of investment to be produced. They are not cheap. But once they are produced, everybody could use them. It's like a cultural good. Once a, a song is composed, what one, once Beethoven composed the Ninth Symphony, everybody can, can reproduce it for very little. Well, educational investments are like that. So we would like, and, and that's one of the key areas of the summit, to transform digital learning resources into public goods so that every country can share their own resources with other countries. Teachers from uh, Argentina could uh, share content with teachers from Spain or from Uruguay. Teachers from, for example, Egypt has a lovely project uh, of digital education that could be shared with many other Arab, Arab countries. So the potential is there, but we do need to uh, bring all those things together into a par uh, partnership that is being proposed at the summit for for digital learning resources. Summits, UN summits in particular, do tend to end with a document. You want more <laughs> than that. Exactly. What do you expect and hope that the outcome of this summit will be? One, uh, we want to reframe the debate, and, and uh, reframing is one of those underrated things. And, and education has been very much framed in the same old way that, uh, as we were speaking, reframing the way in which learners learn uh, and, and, and having teachers. And, and people sometimes think this is a question of training. I think it's more than training. It's, it's changing like your cultural framework and what it means to be a teacher and what my relation with the students should be. So reframing that teacher-learner relation, I think it's, it's something very, very powerful. It has to do with the curriculum, but it has to do with, with the teaching itself. Second, uh, and, and this is critical in many countries, there is a question of access. 
There are millions of students that don't have access, so you cannot be satisfied if you now now you have a better curriculum and better teachers if half of your population is, is out of school. So exclusion is, is one key factor. So you have the content, you have the access. Uh, then, as I was saying, the potential for both improving access and improving quality using digital resources as a complement, I think this is... This is very powerful. And then, and I'm, I'm an economist by profession, so uh, I, I shouldn't avoid mentioning like a key element here. Uh, good education is expensive. And you have to invest in, in, in education. And, and in, in many countries, this, this is a terrible problem. I'll, I'll give you some numbers that when, when I saw them at first, uh, if you take how much a country invests per school-age person. Uh, well, rich countries invest about $8,000 a year per student. Upper-middle-income countries, like some in Latin America, they invest 1000 So you, you already have a, an 8 to 1 difference. But if you go to lower-middle-income countries, they spend like $300 per student a year, and the poor countries invest 50 so when you go from $50 to $8,000 per student, then you understand why uh, the differences in, in, in access and in quality of education are staggering in the world. So, yes, you, you, you have to ask the question, how do we finance education? And, and uh, this has to do mainly with national budgets. I mean, more than 90, 95% of education is financed through national budgets. And uh, last time I checked, the main source for national budgets are taxes. And people don't like it when you talk about taxes, but uh, and they think, I, I hate this when they say, no, you, you have to do more with less. And I said, listen, when less is $50 a year or $300 a year per student, no, you cannot do more with less. You really need to revamp your tax systems in a more progressive way and to distribute those resources more equitably so they reach the, those who need them most. So, so, yes, part of the transformation of education has to do with transforming the financing of education. My guest on this week's episode of The Lid Is On was Leonardo Garnier, the Special Advisor for the Transforming Education Summit, which is taking place at United Nations headquarters in New York on the 16th, 17th and 19th of September. Stay tuned to UN News to get more information on the summit and, of course, all the other big news surrounding UNGA 77, the opening of the 77th General Assembly session. There'll be another episode of The Lid Is On coming to you next week, so don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single moment. My name's Connor Lennon, and I will see you next week.